All right, please take your Bibles and turn to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3. We will not work methodically uh, through verses 8 through 13 on the role of a deacon like we did in regard to the role of an elder. And that's because the role of deacon is almost synonymous with, you know, a couple changes or one specifically as with, our, with that of a calling of an elder. They're very similar. So we'd be basically uh, repeating a lot of the stuff I had already taught. So we, oh, we had a pretty in-depth study on the role of an elder, several studies, I don't know, five or six studies or so on the role of an elder. We're going to do this in one because, as I said, a lot of it repeats. But there are some uh, significant things we need to touch upon. Even things that repeat, I'll mention at least something about those verses. But in 1 Timothy chapter 3, we looked at the seriousness of church leadership and that the Lord appointed, has us, Paul was appointed elders. Now the apostles were still alive at that time. Uh, the Twelve apostles uh, were alive at this period of time. Uh, and it's interesting when you look at scripture, uh, the apostles were not a designated office that was to continue in the context of the twelve apostles. The twelve apostles, now there's the apostles with a small a, the word, we, we look at the word apostle and you're like, apostle, but sometimes we think of it in the terms of what you, we see with the Apostle Paul, Peter, you know, miracles, and all these different things going on. Uh, and that while we're not cessationists, we believe that God can still heal today. Amen. He can still speak to our hearts. He's still at work. At the same time, we recognize the apostles had a special work. Uh, they were 12 apostles. Uh, there was one extra one, Paul. Some say he replaced Matthias because Matthias was replaced, replaced Judas. And the apostles picked him and they feel that, well, the apostles must have been wrong because in Matthias, uh, well, then Paul was later picked. But that really doesn't make sense because uh, Peter, they were prayed up, the Pentecost and everything's going down. And they prayed, they sought the Lord. And when it mentions the 12 apostles after Matthias's made an apostle, it mentions him as an apostle. The Holy Spirit calls him one of the twelve. So it's hard to say that. And, and Paul called himself the least of the apostles. He said he was an apostle born out of due time. But to be an apostle, to be one of the twelve, and to be the extra one, Paul, you had to have seen the resurrected Christ. Paul, when he's basically underscoring his leadership qualifications as an apostle, says, have I not seen the Lord? Road to Damascus, remember that? He says, do I not have the signs of an apostle? Right? And when you go into a New Jerusalem, which all of you will go there someday if you know Jesus, uh, the scriptures state that the names of the 12 apostles are written on New Jerusalem. So that's pretty awesome. Uh, so people that are claimed to be apostles today, like in the context of the 12 apostles, uh-uh. They haven't seen the resurrected Christ, and, and they're a lot of times spewing all these false prophecies. They're trying to get authority over a bunch of churches, that's the New Apostolic Reformation, the so-called, which is involving in a lot of false revival stuff, strange things going on. On our podcast, we're going to do a whole series on the New Apostolic Reformation coming up pretty soon, so pray for that, please. Uh, uh, eyes need to be opened in that regard. But I mentioned apostles here because the apostles, in the context of the Twelve, would go off the scene. You know, they would die. Uh, but they were given to prayer and the, and the preaching of the Word and uh, establishing churches and congregations and so forth. And they, their roles would have to be filled by somebody else. Uh, and we're going to get into that a little bit as far as, you know, we're talking about elders. The Apostle Peter calls himself a fellow elder in 1 Peter chapter 5. So 
uh, some of the apostles would also call themselves elders or pastors and so forth. Uh, now we have we've, the foundation of the church, by the way. If you read Ephesians chapter 2, verses 20 through 22, is built on the apostles and the prophets, and the evan- or built on the apostles and the prophets, I'm sorry, and the chief cornerstone is the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And Ephesians 5.11 says, God gave some as apostles, some as prophets, uh, and evangelists and pastor teachers for the work of the ministry, amen, uh, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So uh, when, the po- when the 12 apostles were gone, uh, the elders were now sent out. There are all kinds of pastors, elders. Uh, we at Blessed Hope and many other churches look at pastors and elders as being a, almost like a synonym, you know. Uh, in the New Testament, there wasn't a special designation where you have an elder here and a pastor over here. A pastor was an elder, an elder was a pastor. Now, there were elders that are pastors or pastors slash elders who uh, would also teach and so forth uh, and lead in that way. And Paul talks about that. We'll get that later, later on into Timothy and so forth. Now, it's interesting. The name of this message is the high calling of the deacons. So I mentioned a little bit about apostles. I mentioned a little bit about elders uh, because they're contrasted just in a slight way, but a significant way with the deacons. And the name of this message is the high calling of deacons. We praise God in this fellowship for the deacons in this fellowship. And they do so much service and so much work and uh, they're ready, and they, they, they get things going, and they help execute things and, and pull things off. And a lot of the work they do is tireless at times, depending on what season it is in the church, you know. Uh, but they're there to make sure uh, the, that, that the ministry of Blessed Hope Chapel is facilitated. There's been hundreds of thousands, perhaps, probably millions of great deacons down through the years. And verses 8 through 13 gives a requirement of deacons, the, the qualifications for deacons, and again, like I mentioned with the elders, these all re- relate to all of us to one degree or another uh, in regard to deacons because they describe a mature man of God. And if you're a woman of God, praise God because you're still called to these high standards in your walk with Jesus. Amen. Now, we look at verse 8 and we'll begin at verse 8. And it says, deacons likewise must be men of dignity not double-tongued or addicted to much wine or fond of sordid gain. And he goes on to speak of these qualifications throughout all the way to verse 13. Uh, the, the Greek word for deacon is diakonos. Diakonos is the noun. There's another noun, or diakonia as well. Uh, verb uh, diakoneo is the verb. And a diakonos or a deacon is literally one who serves. One who serves. Now, it's interesting, that Greek word, diakonos, and the verbs related to it and so forth, the verb related to it and what have you, uh, are, is used over 100 times in the New Testament. That's amazing. Now, almost most of the times it's used, it's not used in the official sense in the office of a deacon, but it's used for service or a servant. Amen? And all of us, the word is used of all of us, all of us as believers in the general sense, in Ephesians 4.12, when it talks about how the saints are equipped for the work of the ministry, the work of service. And the, words, words, uh, the Greek word is diakonos there again. Uh, so we're called to be involved in ministry, all of us as believers. I've always tried to emphasize to you guys, as part of discipleship, this fellowship is encouraging you guys that we're all disciples, amen? And we're called to win souls. We're also called to make disciples, Amen. And we have to keep in mind that we are all ministers of reconciliation, every single believer here. We need to take our ministries seriously. So it's interesting 
that when we look at the text, uh, diakonos, uh, the first time we see, and now this is, this is a little debated uh, throughout church history, but the first time many believe uh, that we see deacons in the church is in Acts chapter 7. And it's interesting because the apostles were incredibly... Can you imagine the day of Pentecost that happened, right? All kinds, 3,000 people get saved. Then thousands more get saved after that. And there's all these different believers that have come to Jerusalem to celebrate... The, the Jews came to Jerusalem to celebrate one of their feast days, which they travel three times a year, seven feast days, but three times you would travel to Jerusalem to celebrate, and they're celebrating the day of Pentecost. So you have all these Jews there on the day of Pentecost, and the Holy Spirit falls on the apostles and all the disciples in power. Remember that? They're speaking in other tongues. They're, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, Peter speaks in a language that most of them could understand. And he says, hey, uh, this is that which was prophesied by the prophet Joel and so forth. And he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. He preached the resurrected Christ. Right? And praise God, we need the message of the resurrection right now. Amen. Amen. Especially regarding what just happened at the, uh, at, at, the, at the school in Tennessee, man, which is really, really heartbreaking. And I thought about, you know, talking about that today. But I want to talk about that on, uh, on Sunday. Uh, because I think it's something the whole church needs to really get our brain around. Uh, not only, uh, I mean, I'm going to go off, and I, I don't want to go off on it right now because um, I want to save it for Sunday, but I've been working on it. My, I've been seeking the Lord, and what you're seeing right now is a prelude of a lot, lot worse things that are going to go down, okay? And all those who live godly in Christ Jesus, Paul said, will suffer persecution, amen? And you need to decide, I'm going to stick my feet in the ground and follow Jesus no matter what. This life is short, you know? And we're all going to uh, pass from this life in a short time. Because the Bible says our lives are short. They're like vapors. They're here and then gone. You want to make sure you're standing on the rock and we're not being cowardly. And we don't cower against what's popular in the world. Because Jesus said these things would come. And he said, they hated me. They hated me, the master. How much more are they going to hate you, the servants? Amen? So, and all he did was just create them. Redeem, redeem humanity by dying on the cross, providing salvation for anyone who would come. Amen? And they spit upon him, and his name is a cuss word right now. And we'll be hated because we stand for his word and what's right. Amen? That's part of the deal. But uh, we need to be servants. And as things get uglier in this world, we need to take a stand. Jesus said, don't fear man who can destroy the body, but fear God who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Amen? We need to fear God, not men. Amen? So, uh, in Acts chapter 6, by the time you get there, there's all these people that were converted from among the Jews that didn't live in Jerusalem. Some lived outside of Israel, all these different places, right? And they came to Jerusalem, and so many of them were converted to Christ. Guess what happened? They stayed there. They're like, we're not even going back to our homes. We're not even going back to where we lived. We can't, man, we have found the Messiah. We're seeing the miracles of Messiah. We're seeing how he fulfilled scripture and their lives were turned upside down. And what happened at that time is there was a distribution to the, to the widows. And the widows uh, were getting food that was being distributed because can you imagine how many poor people were there at that time? A lot of the believers, because of the special circumstances and all this influx of believers, right, that had immigrated there and decided to stick their roots there, they said, praise God, you're here. There was all this love flowing, uh, and praise God, there was this giving to, to, the, to the things of the kingdom. 
So a lot of the believers were selling their homes to help out the new believers that came. And there were a lot of widows there that had been converted to Christ as well. And the food was being distributed, but there arose a, some contention because the native Jews in Jerusalem and around about that, that area uh, were getting, they felt the Hellenistic Jews or the Jews that were more influenced by Greek culture and further away from Jerusalem, they felt that the native Jews in Jerusalem, the native widows, were getting preferential treatment. And because you can imagine all kinds of things happen when there's a huge influx of believers. So there was a problem that arose, and the apostles are trying to preach the word, but they're having to settle all these kinds of things. So we read in verse 1 of chapter 6, Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a, compl a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews, because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation. Notice that, good reputation, not scoundrels. Full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. So the apostles said, man, we're going to have to take care of all this stuff. And we, we're winning the loss to Christ. And the Bible, we're called the body of Christ as believers, Amen. The Bible says, I can't say to the hand, I have no need of you, amen. We all need each other. Jesus is the head. We're just all servants, amen. And we're all incredibly dispensable, amen. He can use any of us. He can use a donkey. We found that out recently, right, in one of the studies, right? Moses uh, like, I can't even talk. That's one reason God chose him. He said, I'll be with your mouth, right? Moses is still unsure, and he says, well, I'll <laughs> Aaron speak for you too, but, you know. So we all need to cry out to the Lord and say, be just thankful that we could be used. But it's interesting here. Uh, their ministry of, with, of praying and crying out to God to be used by him and, and seeking guidance from him and witnessing the lost and building up the, the church as apostles that were basically discipled by Jesus himself for three and a half years. Amen? Now all of a sudden they're like trying to take care of these things that are important to take care of, but it would keep them from preaching the word. So they say to appoint these, these men uh, in verse 3, uh, uh, um, verse 4, I'm sorry, but we, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The statement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, okay, and Procherus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And they brought them before the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them. And the word of God kept on spreading. Notice the result of that. The word of God kept on spreading, and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. The same, many of the same priests who were rejecting Jesus during his ministry, seeing miracles. But there's what we call, what's called the Messianic secret at that time, amen, where Jesus let the truth out. But he also needed to make, make sure that he was going to be crucified. Amen? Right. Now he's crucified. And the gospel is as clear as a bell. There's, even the disciples were having a hard time understanding that he was going to die for their sins, weren't they? Right? They just kind of like, not that he didn't share it with them. He did. But now all these priests are coming to Christ and so forth. And it's interesting because what did the Lord do? What happened here? 
seven men were chosen. To, and now it's, it's disputed, I said, because some look at this as the first deacons. These seven men were the first deacons. Uh, and, and it's pointed out that in the first four verses, uh, three times a derivative of the word diakonos is used. Not in the official sense of a, an office of a deacon, but it's related to that word. Certainly in 1 Timothy 3, it's an office because certain people are selected uh, to, to do this. But, so it's disputed whether these guys were actually deacons, but we can say this at the very least. They're at least models for deacons if they weren't deacons, right? I, I personally believe they were deacons, you know, uh, because they're doing the work of deacons and they were assisting the, 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 the apostles so, the apostles so they can get the word out. Amen? And it's interesting here. Uh, one, well, I think this is important to understand because uh, the, 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 basically the mission they had, number one, uh, we, one thing we see is they're serving to free the apostles so they can pray and preach. Amen? So the deacons handle the practical things of the church. The physical, the practical things. With If you're not dealing with the practical things, the physical things of the church, the church is not going to flourish. Amen? You wouldn't have seats here. You probably wouldn't have lights on. If I was a pastor and a deacon both, and I was like the only deacon here, it'd, be, it'd probably be dark right now. We'd probably be meeting at my house around the fire pit or something, you know. Uh, because it's just interesting. God gives all kinds of different gifts to people. And that's, what, that's how the church runs, man. God knows what he's doing. He gives, Holy Spirit says that he, he gives different gifts and then different administrations of those gifts. Some people can have the same exact gift spiritually, but they have a different administration of that gift. It's the way God paints it. And I believe God does that for each church to the degree that he, he knows what to pour out on or through what person uh, because it's his church, amen? So uh, we're, all, we're all born with one gift, Ephesians chapter 4, 1 Peter 4, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, all those chapters, four different chapters, all say that each believer has one gift. So at least, okay? And then Paul says, pray that you may prophesy, right? Earnestly desire the greater gifts. So you can also have more gifts if you pray about that and seek the Lord in regard to his giftings. If you put those chapters together, by the way, you find about 19 different gifts of the Holy Spirit. Some try to make a distinction between gifts of the Holy Spirit that are, uh, you know, some are miraculous and some are not. No, they're all miraculous, Okay. Every gift is by the whole power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, if it's gift administration or whatever, it helps. All those gifts, it's still the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, you wouldn't need the Holy Spirit if you're doing it in the natural. Amen. In regard to those gifts, but the Holy Spirit empowers each and every one of us. That's why you should make sure you're praying. You know, for people, pray for the saints throughout the week. Pray for your brothers and sisters. On the way here, pray, Lord, use me to your glory. You know, I prayed several times before I stepped in the pulpit today about this message about you. Okay. Not just today. I pray throughout, you know, off and on throughout the week. But time to preach, man. I'm praying. And that's just to be something normal for each of us. Amen. Because we want God's heart. Amen. So number one, these deacons were, were chosen so they could free up the apostles to what? Pray and preach. Amen. That's important. Because without the deacons, ha, uh, those seven men, the word of God wouldn't have been spreading like it was. Number two. I love this about the deacons. And I, man, Steve, we need to get this message, make sure every deacon in their fellowship hears this message, right? Number two, uh, and Steve's a pastor like I am and he teaches like I do, but he's also the administrative pastor. So I can say, hey, Steve, can you get this done? Boom. Well, administrative, get, get it in their hands, make sure they get a memo, you know? Uh, and number two, 
when problems arise, right? And it's like, woo, things are shifting in that practical sense. How do we deal with this? God will give deacons wisdom. They're servant leaders, okay? They're, they're leaders uh, along with the elders and so forth, but they, they play an important role. And here they were able to take care of a problem that arose that nobody saw coming. Or if they did, was, does not mention here. All of a sudden it's like, what do we do here? The apostles could see themselves trying to settle disputes between all these different widows for the next three weeks to a month or whatever. They thought, how are we going to do this? And guess what? I can tell you right now, I'm sure Stephen and Philip and these guys came up with just great ideas. Not that he couldn't have given the apostles ideas, but I'm sure Peter's like, man, I want to go preach, you know. Uh, or, you know, John's like, man, I, I got to go share the word with this, this brother who's hurting or whatever. And by the way, it crosses over, though. So we'll see in a little bit that, that deacons can also share the word, of course, and then elders and so forth can do some practical things. So when things are being broke down, I love to help whenever I could help, you know. Uh, but sometimes it's like, like if we're having like a, fee, a, a, a Passover meal, I like to put things away and help, but all of a sudden I got 12 people or four people. So then sometimes if I got one person left, I'll start putting things away while they're talking to me and try to encourage them to help a little bit too. No, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> but uh, we've all got things to do for the Lord. So all think, kinds of things arise. Parking situations, perhaps. Uh, doing a communion. Thank God, praise God for the, the ushers as well, right? Uh, uh, you know, assisting in, in making sure fellowship happens. We have, we have a uh, sunrise service, a resurrection sunrise service, okay? I'm sure there'll be deacons there making sure there's extra seats there for people that just show up at the sunrise service, okay? I'm sure Steve or one of the brothers will make sure that happens. Uh, and so when problems arise, there's problems with security now in churches, isn't there? Right? I've, I don't know, I think some of our deacons carry, but I know some of the elders, I mean, a number of people carry here. I'd be, I'm more afraid I'm getting shot by somebody than a, somebody coming in by a crossfire, man. So I'm like, you know, <laughs> careful, okay? Uh, but anyway, uh, God, pray for those folks, man. That's just like, it's so heartbreaking, you know, when you think about it. And uh, number three, they play a major role in unifying the body of Christ, deacons. You see, there was all these skirmishes going on, and when they stepped up, right, and they, they worked this problem out between the uh, factions that were debating or upset because as Hellenistic Jews, they weren't getting the treatment the native Jews were. They made sure the distribution was without partiality, and people got what they needed and so forth, and it brought unity to the body of Christ, to the, to the church there. And number four, because they allowed the prayer and the preaching of the word, as we read in verse 8, what happened? The number of disciples was increasing. Amen. So deacons, and I praise God for this. I love this because, it sh and I think it's so important that we get this, where everybody here, I try to tell people, I'm just one little guy, man, okay? I'm just one guy. And I mean, I, when I was doing, they sold their souls for rock and roll. I used to call it rock and roll source of the New Age Revolution in the early 80s, 81, 82 or whatever. You know, I remember, I'm like, I'm not the, I'm just like, get the word out. And I'm like in front of a church. I started getting invited to all these churches and I'm in front of a church and I've got these album covers and stuff because there was no video back then, you know, no YouTube or anything like that. And I'm holding, could you see this guy like a Lester Crowley in the top of the Beatles album all the way over to the top left, you know? And I'm like, and people can't see it in the back, I know. I go, you can come up if you don't believe me later, you know? And uh, all of a sudden a guy comes up. I'm young, man. I'm like early 20s, probably like 21, 22 at that time. 
I was doing presentations long before that, but I was probably about, I don't know, maybe, maybe 20 years old at that time. And a guy comes up, I'm a professional, I'm a, I'm a photographer, I'd love to take slides of your, your pictures there, man, and give them to you in a slide form. Thanks, man. I got together with them. Boom, boom, boom. Man, it's like, boom. All of a sudden, guess what? A lot more people are being impacted than they would be with just me. Okay? And then all of a sudden, I'm cutting video with people and, and you know, all these things. And the Good Fight team and Blessed Hope here at, with Pastor Steve and the, and the elders and the deacons and uh, the Sunday school teachers and the ushers and everybody here that serves in any capacity. Praise the Lord for you. Amen? Because that's what the Lord uses. And it's not like what happens from our ministry, one or two or three people get the credit for. Everyone who's part of this fellowship, amen? Everyone who's praying, everyone who is uh, giving of their time, their talent, their treasure to further the word of God, amen, is, is bearing fruit together as a fellowship, amen? And I love that because I thought, wow, this is really cool. When I was looking at verse 8, I'm like, that is, or verse 7, I was like, that's so awesome because the word of God is spreading and disciples being made and the deacons who might be seen as just help, you know, helping with a dispute over here are bearing all kinds of fruit, are helping bear fruit to God's glory, Amen? And it's interesting, in the Old Testament, it wasn't those that just went out to war, and I don't have time to get into it because I'm way away from my notes right now for the last ten, seven minutes, so I've got to be really careful here. But when the, the guys that went and just watched the, the weapons, right, and so forth, it said they were credited for the victory as much as those who went out to war. And they were able to divide the spoils with those who went out to war because they played a part. Do you, are you with me? Okay, so you just doing your role, man, in serving Jesus. A lot of times people are under a delusion that they have to go to Timbuktu, right? Or they're not going to be rewarded or really do something for God. You know how ridiculous that is? Now, if God calls you to Timbuktu, okay, go, okay? But guess what? Did you, do you realize that most of the believers, many of the believers, if not most of them, in the first century, because most of the Roman Empire, some historians estimate, were slaves, and most of the Christians, perhaps, were slaves. Could they go to Timbuktu? Could they say to the master, hey, you know what? I'm going into Europe, and I'm going to spread the gospel. No. But guess what? Over and over again, we're told about how they were used by God and how they were to be, be men of God in their station where they were at and good examples for the gospel. Amen. And because of a lot of these slaves that had become Christians, and the demeanor, and their disposition, and their love, and their heart change. Guess what? Masters started getting converted. All kinds of people started getting converted throughout the Roman Empire. So much so that the Roman Empire, you know, Constantine's like, what do we do? There's so many Christians here now, you know? Can't beat them, join them. And then you have the beginnings of what eventually became the Roman Catholic Church. Because the church, Christianity became politicized in time. So, uh, but what I'm saying is the gospel spreads by you simply growing where you're planted, amen, and then saying, Lord, send me, amen. You know, my, you know me, I'm not de-emphasizing missions. We need to go, amen. But why I try to tell you, when he said, go to the uttermost parts of the earth, that was in Jerusalem, amen. You should be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Samaria, in the uttermost parts of the earth, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. Well, we're on the uttermost parts of the earth from there, guys. We're here. This is our mission field, too. Don't forget that. Oh, man, someday I'm going to go on a mission trip. Someday, man, I'm going to be a missionary. You are a missionary right now. Amen. Amen. Shine the light of Jesus. Amen. He, he didn't just say, he didn't say, you know, you're going to go and witness for me. He said, you will be my witnesses. Amen. We are his witnesses. And the deacons were witnessing by their love and they were encouraging the body of Christ. I just love to see people serve the Lord and where they're selflessly like, you know, here am I, Lord. Send me, use me to your glory. Now, as I mentioned in 
First Timothy 3, when you look at the deacons, their roles greatly resemble that of an elder, uh, pretty much the same except for the uh, teaching aspect. And it goes on to say now, uh, we keep reading verse uh, 8, deacons likewise must be men of dignity. Okay, That word dignity literally means honorable, means serious. You know, they're serious about their calling. Deacons need to be serious about God's calling. They need to be not apathetic about the things of God. That needs to be the forefront of their mind is serving God and fulfilling their role as men of God, recognizing that the way they serve will allow the, the word of God to be preached and more souls to be saved. Amen? Very, very important. They need to be serious. They need to realize they're on a mission. Amen? We all need to realize that. We're all on a mission for the Lord. Amen? We've been all been called to mission. We have be, need to be uh, mission-minded. Uh, next, it says, uh, not double-tongued. Not double-tongued. Wow. And literally, in the Greek, it speaks of not speaking two different things, you know? This thing to this group and saying the opposite to that group. Deacons can't be duplicitous. They have to be consistent in their speech, and it, ought, it needs to be holy speech and righteous. They can't be backstabbers. They can't be uh, men that cause uh, division among uh, the brothers and sisters in the Lord. Uh, they need to be careful in how they minister to people, and they need to fear God and love God. And if you fear God, you wouldn't be like that, right? And if you love the Lord and his bride, you'd want to build up the bride of Christ. Amen. So it's important that we get that uh, during World War II. Uh, there were a lot of our ships that were getting just blown out of the water by the, by the Germans in, uh, during World War II. And they were like, what, how are they finding out where our ships are at? Well, one reason was that intel was getting out. They had spies over here and so forth. And uh, then, they, then they started being really strict about who would say what. And that's where the term... Uh, Loose lips, sink ships came from. Well, you can, it's one thing to sink a ship, man. It's another thing to sink a brother or sister, amen. Be really careful. Uh, now, if a brother is in sin, then you need to go to them privately and speak to them and encourage them to be right with Jesus, amen. And you need to deal with it. So I'm not saying ignoring sin if there's a sin issue, but don't call Bob Frank and, and Leslie and say, Can you believe what so and so did? And then they tell three other people. And then before you know it, you have people all upset with each other in the church. That's not good. You know, and some people, sometimes I think people think, uh, think gossip is a gift. It's not, okay? Oh, I just don't have a filter. Yeah, well, that's sinful. The Bible says, he that does not bridle his tongue, his faith is worthless, James chapter 1. Okay? Very, very serious, guys. And the Bible says God hates those who hates, not just sin. We always say he hates the sin, but he loves the sinner. And that's true. He hates the sin, but he loves the sinner. But guess what? There's another level in which he hates the sinner. Over and over again, there's scriptures that say God hates what people have become. And uh, it says he hates, in Proverbs chapter 6, those who separate the brethren. Amen. So you have to be careful. Uh, reminds me of four pastors that got together, and one of them said, you know what? We're constantly hearing the, the troubles of our congregation uh, that we pastor. And you know, I know you guys all hear the same stuff, and we're hearing people confess their sins. And it's, it's just, you know, and why don't we all confess our sins to each other? And he says, why don't you go mentions, hey, hey, Frank, why don't you mention what you... He goes, yeah, I have a problem, man. I, I'm addicted to smoking cigars and stuff, and it's terrible. Then the next pastor goes, and he just unleashes and confesses, and the third pastor, and the other guy doesn't say anything. He, and they go, you're the one that started this? Why don't you confess your sins? He goes, I have a terrible problem with gossip, and I can't wait till this is over. 
you know? And, uh, and that's a sad, sad, sad thing, guys, you know? And you got to make sure that if that's your problem, man, you need to say, like, Lord, what you did with Isaiah when you sent that seraph to put the burning coal on his lips, sanctify my lips. Because the Bible says, out of the heart, the mouth speaks, amen? So those who are deacons, because they're dealing with people, Amen. Like these deacons, if we can call them that in Acts chapter 6, they were dealing with these, these, all these different women, these widows, their hardships. And last thing you want to know, think, is that the, uh, a brother that's helping you is also backstabbing you with his words behind your back. Amen. And we want to encourage each other. We want to speak well of one another in Christ. Amen. And affirm that which is excellent in one another. And of course, if someone gets into rebellion and they're involved in sin, then, like I said, you go and you restore them, it says, in a spirit of gentleness. Watch yourself, lest you too be tempted. Hating the garment that's been polluted by the flesh, but snatching them out of the fire. Amen? That's important. The next thing on that list in verse 8, he says, and i got to pick it up a little bit. I want to get through verse 13. Okay? And we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna be on time. Johnny, give me, wave me that sign, man. And uh, I told John, wave the 15-minute sign, then the 10-minute sign, then the 5-minute sign. I said, if I'm not done, when the 5-minute sign's over and there's zero time left, come up and whack me with the sign. So, no, I didn't say that to him. You know, but you could do that with me, Johnny. But uh, not, not or, or addicted to much wine. Not to be addicted to much wine. Now, I'm just going to briefly say just a couple points because I did a two- or three-part little series on this when we were talking about the elders. So I'm not going to repeat everything, but I did try to make you aware that you can't go to the store and buy this fortified wine. Think, oh, Jesus drank wine. I can get drunk. No, the Bible says, don't be deceived. Drunkards will not inherit God's kingdom. And I might sound like I repeat myself on that a lot, but guess what? That's because I deal with people, man, through the, through the decades of being a pastor. And I've seen lives and marriages and people destroyed from alcohol. And if you were in my shoes, you would warn, you know, uh, because there's people that go to I'm not saying anybody in here now, but there's people, there's a guy that came to me and uh, two or three times and said, my wife is finishing off a, a bottle of wine every night. And I said, let's get together. Let's get together from counseling and so forth. They were here for years. He came one more Sunday, then they were gone. Never saw him again. Oh, I, I shouldn't say that. I mean, I've talked to them since, but not in this fellowship. And I'd rather have a fellowship where people are truly, earnestly, sincerely seeking Jesus, that love him, and are seeking to obey him. Because I'm not one of those guys, you know that we're not one of those fellowships where we just want to grow and have as many people. That's ridiculous, man. That's our church, and then we'll be judged because the Lord's going to say, uh, that was your church, not my church. This is his church, amen? So we preach his word. So wine today is often fortified. Fortified means it's strengthened with more alcohol, okay? And also keep in mind, in biblical times, and I went through the stats. You can go and check them out. I showed over and over again that in biblical times, they mixed, and I showed it from Scripture, and I showed it from history, they mixed their wine down with water by several times so they would not get drunk. May the Holy Spirit convict you not to deceive yourself into thinking that you can get a little drunk. I mean, what if I told my wife, hey, Joe, why, were you, why do you get home at 3 or 4 in the morning? Oh, baby, I was just involved in a little bit of adultery tonight. No big deal. It was just a little bit. Would that go over well? Would that be a good thing? That would be evil, right? So a little fornication, a little bit of heroin, a little bit of LSD, or a little bit of hallucinogenic drug, you know, just microdosing, man. Just contacting a little bit, a few demons, not a bunch of them, you know. Guys, 
Brothers and sisters in Christ, man, don't justify yourself into hell, okay? Some people are excuse, make excuses, excuses right in hell. And by the way, so when they were drinking, in fact, Paul says, you know, here, I think it's important. And now some go too far. They say, oh, you can't even have a drop of wine at all. Well, that's unbiblical too. I want to be straight biblical. A lot of Baptists and stuff, oh, you can't even, a drop of wine, is, you know, the Bible never mentions, no, guess what? They did mix real wine in water. They mixed it down. Okay, so when Jesus turned water into wine, it would be what they were used to drinking, which was a mixed down. I remember the barbarians, like one of the quotes from the early historians was the barbarians were so wicked that they would mix the wine four parts water, one part wine. That's horrible, they would say. It's like, wait a minute, man. We're just drinking straight wine and it's a fortified. They didn't say Jesus did it. No, untrue. And you're saying, where's all the evidence? Just check out my message I just did two months ago. Month and a half, two months ago, two or three messages on that. And one of the messages I gave, and by the way, Paul's saying, and it's important to get this here, not addicted to much wine. Why would he say that if the wine was just grape juice? Are you with me on that too? Because there's other extreme we've got to deal with too. We got, we're about truth here, amen? Obviously saying, oh, deacons, don't drink too much grape juice. That wouldn't make any sense. Because actually he's talking about true alcohol. And you obviously could drink too much. That why, that's why it says not to spend a lot of time by mixed drinks. That's watered down. You could have watered down wine, but still spend too much time drinking it and get drunk. But then he also says, don't look at the wine when it's red. Because it's like a serpent and it'll bite you. Because when it's red, it means it's what? Strong drink, which is forbidden throughout the, throughout the Bible. Strong drink is forbidden. That's unmixed wine. When he's talking about strong drink, he's not talking about bourbon. He's not talking about, you know, uh, you know, cognac, he's not, well, that's a strong wine, but he's not talking about, uh, you know, vodka and stuff like that. They didn't distill things until centuries later. They didn't know about distilling and have, didn't have hard liquor like that. So when he mentions hard drink and it's forbidden in Scripture, that's just straight wine. I say this because I love you guys. The Lord wants you to be serious about your walk. Amen? And part of discipling my brothers and sisters in Christ is walking more accurately in the truth. I just want to encourage you. Be, be very careful here. Amen? Now, it seems like Paul, or Timothy, who Paul is addressing here, and Paul's Timothy is to appoint deacons. Ooh, it's interesting that he says to Timothy, not too much wine. Why? Because it seems like Timothy was just a to total, you know, no alcohol, not even a drop. Why? Because in chapter 5, I think verse 23, he says to Timothy, because of your frequent stomach problems, mix a little bit of wine into your water. Right? Why? Because they would use alcohol in those days to kill germs. Okay? And it was medicinal. Or if you were perishing, it was a painkiller. They didn't have a lot of the painkillers we have today. Like in Proverbs 31. Wine is not for kings, Lemuel. They must render right decisions. Well, guess what? How much more us as believers in Jesus? Amen? But he says, it's for those who are perishing. But remember when Jesus was at the cross and they stuck wine, the Roman soldier, up to his uh, mouth? And he spit it out? Why? Would he have broken the law if he had just a little bit because it killed his pain? I think it's because he was on the cross and he wanted, didn't want to be inebriated at all while he was perishing because as a king of kings and lord of lords, it's not for kings. And it's for those who perish, but he's like, no, I want to have my full mental faculties as I'm dying on the cross for the sins of the world. Amen? 
And I just think that's awesome. But also, watch out, it becomes legalistic when you say, if anybody has just a little bit of wine, that's sinful. A lot of churches teach that. You can't be a deacon in a lot of churches if you have any wine at all, or an elder. And I personally don't drink any, because I was a drunkard man before I became, I was a lot of things before I became a Christian. And, and full stop, no, I don't need it in my life. My wife went to AA, NA, CA, you know, and she was like the whole alphabet of AA meeting type stuff. And then I said, you have, you have Jesus, man. You just need the one-step program, man. You follow Christ. And she did. And she was already to a degree. But, uh, but brothers and sisters, we got an awesome God. And the Bible says, don't be drunk with wine, but be what? Filled with the Holy Spirit. Why would you want the counterfeit when you have the reality? And when you're getting, if you're getting drunk, you're basically saying, you know what? I really don't, I'm not satisfied with you, God. I don't want to really be filled with your Holy Spirit. I want to seek the spirits of this world. Don't do it. So uh, let's move on. The last part of that, it says, and not for sordid gain. Uh, they're not fond of sordid gain, meaning their objective in life, it's not, they're not living to make money. It's not about money is not the bottom line for them. And that ought to be true of every Christian, amen? It should not be the bottom line. In fact, in 1 Timothy 5, that's where Paul warns, and we're going to be there eventually, because I'm covering, picking this up a little bit here, but not tonight, we won't be there, but I'll mention it. It warns about those who teach that godliness is a means of financial gain, 1 Timothy 6, 5 and 6. And it says, because of this false teaching, Paul says, hey, you've been, you came to the world with nothing, you'll leave this world with nothing, right? There's nobody ever pulling a hearse to heaven or hell. You don't take it with you. And, and Paul says, those who have sought to be rich in this world plunge themselves into many pains and into destruction and they wander away from the faith. So you don't want deacons who are focused on the money more than they're focused on serving God. Now, all of us, for the most part here, the Bible says if you don't work, don't let them eat. We work, we, we need to make money to pay our bills and so forth. But hopefully your objective in working is to glorify God with your life, to be a blessing to others, amen. Paul said work with your hands so with the money that you get, you can, you can share with others. You can be a blessing to others, Amen. God wants to bless you, but he blesses you because he loves you, but he blesses you so you can be a blessing. Amen? Amen. He wants you to be a blessing to other people. Amen? Amen. So we, we serve the Lord with our finances, and we bless one another with our finances. And it's imperative that we understand how important that is. Uh, J- Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, you, know, you cannot serve two masters. You can't serve God and mammon, or God and money. Mammon means money. For either you love the one and hate the other, you hate the one and love the other. And in verses 19 through 21, he said, Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust do corrupt, and thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust can corrupt, and thieves can't break, up and break in and steal. Now, I'm convinced that there will be all kinds of Christians on Judgment Day that will be saved because they love Jesus. They're bearing some kind of fruit in their lives. They really know the Lord, but they'll be really bummed out that they didn't invest more in the kingdom. You know how many people are into investing in this world? Like, man, I remember when I was a younger believer and there were people that were all bummed out because they didn't catch the dot-com wave. When all the dot-coms came out, you could have bought a bunch of dot-coms if you saw how they were starting to sell. If you thought, wow, this computer thing is going to take off and these addresses, you know, like if you just picked up, say, walmart.com before Walmart did, not, did Walmart even exist then? Probably not. I don't know. But if you, if you just picked up these dot-coms, you, people you have to buy them from you. You make a lot of money. And people are like, man, I can't believe. Or the real estate market. 
man, if I would have just sold my house then. How many millions of people say that at certain times? Well, guess what? A lot of Christians are saying, man, if I would have just invested in God's kingdom more, you know, what more could have been done for God's glory? What more of a blessing it could have been? And I was reading something recently called The Lifespan of a Dollar. One dollar spent for lunch lasts five hours. Okay? I mean, it's going to be more than a buck, but that dollar that you put toward your lunch lasts about five hours by the time it gets totally done digesting. One dollar spent for a necktie lasts five weeks. I don't wear neckties much. That seems kind of too quick to me, though. I've got neckties that have been there for years and years and years and years. I guess I'm cheap in that way. One dollar spent for a, a cap, a hat, lasts five months. I got old hats, too. One, one dollar spent for an auto or a car lasts five years. Yeah, if you put a lot of miles on it, I guess. One dollar spent for the, a railroad lasts five decades. Well, I don't know how accurate each of those is. Digesting food seems the most slam dunkish. But this one is accurate. One dollar spent in God's service lasts for how long? Eternity. That's the wise investments. Amen. Use your time ministering to people, loving one another. Amen. Your talent and the gifts that God has given you to minister to one another. And your treasure, put it in heaven, man. Serve one another. Amen. Build up the body of Christ. Verse 9. But holding to the mystery of faith with a what? Clear conscience. The deacon must hold to the mystery of faith with a clear conscience. And the mystery of faith isn't some like Agatha Christie mystery where they, they've got to hold these secrets from people of the kingdom that nobody else knows. No, the secret, uh, the mystery of the faith uh, is that which was not disclosed clearly in the Old Testament like the Messianic secret. There are all these pieces and pictures and prophecies. I've always told you there's far more than 300 prophecies about Christ's life, amen? You know, it's probably closer to 3,000 or so or more. We just went through Joseph, right? We saw 40 or 50 just prophecies of Christ just in his life. And I said I wasn't able to even exhaust them. But the clearer prophecies, they become real clear in hindsight. But some were really clear before Jesus died. Like in Isaiah 53, before Jesus was born, 700 years earlier, we just did Isaiah 53. If you have not heard Isaiah 53 from last Sunday, that message is called Isaiah 53. All, it's all about Jesus. That's the name of that message. I really encourage you to listen to that. It'll really, your faith will just <clears throat> skyrocket, man. Uh, but, uh, so there's clear prophecy about what the Messiah would do. But as far as Jews and Gentiles being united together in one body through the Messiah, that wasn't really understood. That was a mystery. And that's part of the mystery of our faith is that God has a body and we belong to it, Jewish and Gentile believers. In fact, go to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. And uh, when you get there, yeah, just go ahead and pick it up at Ephesians chapter 3, uh, verse 4. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 4. This is beautiful. Look what Paul says here to the church at Ephesus. He says, That by revelation there has been made known to me, that is to Paul, the mystery of as I wrote before in brief, by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. 
to be specific, be specific about what that mystery is, to be specific, he says, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel. So all centers around the gospel and what happens through the gospel. Now go to Romans chapter 16, verse 25. Romans chapter 16, verse 25. Because when you get when you're you're looking at the the uh, he must hold a deacon must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. It's like okay, what's he talking about the mystery of the faith? Romans sixteen twenty five. And the thesis of Romans is that God's righteousness is revealed from faith to faith, Romans 1.17. And now we're justified through faith. And here in Romans 16.25 it says, Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret for long ages past, but now is manifested, and by the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandment of the eternal God has been made known to all the nations leading to obedience of faith. To the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, be glory forever. Amen. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ and people being saved and it being available to all the nations. So they must hold to the mystery of the faith, the gospel of Jesus Christ. They must, the deacons must treasure the gospel. And they must do so, it says, with a clear conscience. That means that they aren't doing things contrary to what they're called to be as Christians or as deacons here. That means as deacons that they're not to be involved in sordid gain, as he mentions right there, uh, fond of sordid gain. In, at the end of verse 8, they're not addicted to much wine. Verse 8, they're not double-tongued, right? They're, they're dignified. And the other things he'll mention right after this as well. Uh, they have a, have a clear conscience. They must, they must make sure that their, their, their sins are under the blood of Christ, amen? They have peace with God. And they're on the straight and narrow, Amen. So if you're a deacon, man, this is serious. You can't be a hypocrite living a wicked double life. Be a gossip, double-tongue kind of guy. You can't be uh, involved where your whole life is about money and Christianity second. And just truthfully, a lot of churches are filled with elders and deacons who don't meet the qualifications, who are just living wicked lives on the outside. And church is kind of a sidekick for them. Maybe it's how they drum up business or whatever, you know. And Jesus is first in their lives. And uh, that's important that we understand that. Verse 10. These men must also first be what? Tested. Then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. So in verse 10, deacons are to be tested. That doesn't mean that they're put in a room and given a three-hour test. You know, how well they know the Bible, you know, or what have you. It's... Uh, any commentary I've seen on this says the same thing. It's not a, it's not a uh, formal thing so much as you're looking at their lives. You can't just make someone a deacon. They've been in the church for a few months. Man, that person really loves to serve. Man, hey, man, you're a, how long have you been a Christian? Ah, uh, three months since I came here, started coming here. Well, you should be a deacon. Oh, praise God. I'll, I'll be a deacon. Boom. Well, what did he say earlier about those who become elders? And he says, not a new convert. A few verses before this. They'll fall. Don't. Don't make a new convert, an elder, lest he fall into the condemnation, the same condemnation incurred by the devil. <whistles> what kind of condemnation did the devil fall into? Pride, original sin, right? Pride, I will be, exalt myself above the throne of God. And it could go to a person's head when they're a new convert that, wow, I've only been at this church for so long, I'm a brand new Christian, and man, look what I'm, and all of a sudden they're not really concerned about their walk so much, they think they've arrived and they could fall away. 
Paul says, even the apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he said, because of all the revelations God gave me, he, gave, he allowed a demon to beat me up. I prayed three times, Lord, take away the thorn of the flesh, right? And, and he, I prayed and prayed and prayed, and the Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is, made, is perfected in your weakness. So Paul recognized that he says God allowed that so he wouldn't be lifted up in pride. Why? Because pride comes before a fall and a haughty spirit before destruction. So even the apostle Paul, who was so humble in so many ways, he called himself the least of the apostles, right? The least of the saints, another place. The chief of sinners, another place. Yet he knew that God allowed him to be afflicted, so he kept his eyes on his need for God's grace, and the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you. And God works in all of our lives that way. Do you know that? It doesn't mean he allows you to be buffeted personally by a demon all the time, but what I'm saying is God chases us. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. He chases us so we don't get on our high horses. Amen? And praise God that he reminds us constantly that we are failures without him. Amen? Amen. And like I say, I always say, the only thing, every, all glory to God, Amen. all credit to God, Amen. all credit to us for our sin. Amen. Okay? Amen? That's what we take credit for. We glorify the Lord. We remain humble before the Lord. So uh, they must be tested. That means you look at their walk. You know who they are to a degree. I mean, you can't know everybody's private moments, but you see that they've been tested. They've been tried. They've been through trials and tribulations and temptations, and they're still walking with Jesus, and they're faithful, and he's still first in their lives. Amen. You see a track record, and you're able to say, hey, you know what? When Steve and John and myself and Chad, the elders, gather together and we talk about appointing elders or deacons, we look at their lives the best we can and be prayerful, you know. See, are they walking with Jesus? You know, and not that we've been perfect at it, but you have to be careful because sometimes you can get a guy where, I mean, there were 12 apostles appointed, right? One of them was into sordid gain, wasn't he? What was his name? It started with a J. In case you get tested later, be a deacon. Just give you a little, you know, a little, give you, you want a vow after the J? Okay, there's a U, there's an A there. <laughs> okay, We're talking Judas, right? Whew, wow. And, you know, now Jesus, well, did Jesus make a mistake? No, because he prayed all night into the morning and chose 12, but he chose Judas because he knew that Judas would betray him, and that would help reveal him as, that would help bring him to the cross. Amen? He didn't make Judas betray him. He knew that Judas would be the sort of guy he would, when times of uh, trial and tribulation came, that he would fall. And he put mammon before Jesus. So, verse 11 how many of you were betting I wasn't going to get done? Now we're already at verse 11. Hold your bet, though, man, because uh, I might slow down. I'm going to slow down verse 11 a little bit. Verse 11. Betting, Joe, you should talk about betting your pastor. I don't know of any verse that talks about betting, by the way, and says thou shalt not bet. But I do know verses that say you, should, you need to be good stewards. Amen? So don't just go burn your money in Vegas. Amen? Well, I never burn. I always win money. That's between you and God. Stay away from the women. Stay away from all the darkness there, though, right? Uh, it gives me the creeps, that place. Okay. Uh, women must, be likewise, must likewise be what? Dignified. Not malicious gossips, but temperate. Faithful in all things. Now, this is very, very, very interesting. And Lord, help me get done. In the 10 minutes I have allotted me with the next few verses, please. Uh, this is interesting because there's a lot of controversy around this verse. Do any of your translations say wives? Anybody? Mark, yours does? Does it say wives or their wives? 
their wives. You have New King James or King James? Yes. New King James. Okay, I thought you had New King James. We said their wives. Okay, most translations have women. Some have wives or their wives. And the controversy is whether or not he's talking to women in general. That's one view. And i got to go fast through this, so I'm going to say I don't think that view holds water at all. Because he's talking about the, uh, he's going to continue talking about the deacons right after this, the male deacons. So it would be weird they just all of a sudden bring women up out of the blue when he's talking about elders, deacons, and just, oh, women, by the way, and then moves on. Doesn't make any sense. So, that, so I, I don't accept that view at all. The next two views, one is that he's speaking to the deacons' wives there, okay? And this is something that I go back and forth on as far as, Lord, what exactly is being said here? Because you cannot be super definitive on it, although I do believe the evidence leans one way. Uh, some would say it refers to the deacon's wives, okay? Uh, and others would say, and by the way, the, name, the word gune there, gune, uh, G-U-N-E would be how you translate it from the Greek, but, uh, but you pronounce it gune. Uh, uh, gune can be used of wives, it is used of wives, and it can be used of women in general, women. So it's not definitive. You understand what I'm saying? So, uh, but I don't see a lot of evidence why it would be wives necessarily. And let me give you seven or eight reasons as to why I believe he's talking about women deacons here. I lean in that direction. I'm not like, I say, thus saith the Lord with conviction that Jesus is God. Amen. That he's the Messiah. Amen. There are certain things I don't speak with as much conviction on because the text is not as clear. So I'm going to be very careful. Amen. So right here, I'm kind of like open on this view although I lean toward it, allowing women to be deacons. Uh, so let me give you some reasons why. Okay, uh, First of all, the word, as I mentioned, gune, because uh, the King James was so known as the translation for, because it was one of the few translations used in the, in the United States and a lot of the evangelical world for many years. So many people just thought it meant wives, but gune uh, means, as I mentioned, women uh, as well. The next reason is... Uh, Well, women in general, uh, and I mentioned this already, but women in general, because it comes to the context of church leadership. So I don't believe he's talking about women in general, as I mentioned. Amen. So he's either talking about the wives of the deacons, you get, get what I'm saying, or women deacons here. Amen. Uh, next, nothing is said of the qualification of elders' wives. Okay. And you might even just start with this one. We'll just start with this one. Nothing said earlier. In regard to elders and their wives, nothing is said that an elder's wife, so why would he also start about a deacon's wife has to be this, this, and this, but doesn't mention that about the elder's wife. That doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. Uh, next, uh, and I think this is important. Uh, so I'm basically asking him with that first point, why would Paul be concerned about the deacon's wives but not the elder's wives? doesn't make sense, okay? Next, okay, I already mentioned the same word is used for wives and women, gune. Uh, that doesn't say one way or another. That just kind of neutralizes the argument before you get to the other arguments. Uh, next, uh, there's no possessive in the Greek, which you'd expect. Their wives, for instance. Okay, there, It doesn't say their wives. There's no, the word, there's no their there. It doesn't say the deacons and then their wives. It just says gune, as it can be translated women. Okay, As in women, deacons, perhaps. Okay? Perhaps. Uh, and also, another point is there's no definite article before gune. It's not the women. The women, like the wives of the, the, the uh, or the wives. 
could be translated the wives if there was a definite article. Ha, diakonos, you know. Uh, there's no ha or ho there. Uh, and then next, uh, next, which I think is an important point, is when he introduces, he talks about the elders, verses 1 through 7, right? If you look 1 through 7, that's all about elders. Then in verse 8, he says, deacons, what? Likewise must be men of dignity, right? Amen? But then you go to verse 13, I'm sorry, verse uh, 11. Women must be, must what? Likewise. Isn't that interesting? So he's talking about elders. He shifts to talk about deacons. Deacons likewise, verse 8. But then when he goes to the women here, he says the women likewise, as though he's speaking of church offices. Are you with me so far? I think that's very, very interesting. Uh, and number seven or six or seven, there is evidence that women served as deaconesses in the early church. Now, Phoebe is given as an example by those that believe in many. By the way, I want to say this. This is not something we divide over. Okay, there's great scholars, great evangelical conservative scholars on both sides of this issue, right? I'm very strong about women not being elders. I think it's clear as day. We've gone through that already in 1 Timothy 2 and 3, right? But I go with the text, whatever the text says. Now, we, in, uh, in, in Romans chapter 16, verses 1 and 2, Phoebe is, re is referred to as a, a, a deaconess. I commend you, our sister, to, uh, Paul writes in Romans 16, verse 1, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church, uh, which is at Sancheria, that you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints, and that you, keep, you help her in whatever matter she may need of you. For she herself has also been a helper of many and myself as well. Now, I have to say, though, the word deaconess there is not used, or I should say the word servant there, okay? It may be diaconeo. I'd have to see the, 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 whether it's a noun or a verb there, but I think it's, a, it's used in, a, in the sense of a, a verb there. But my point is, is that it's not, she, it's not spoken of, it doesn't say she held this office. So you can't say for sure she held the office of a deacon. Some people say that, commentators say that. It's like, no, you can't actually say that. But you could also say that in Acts chapter 6 of those seven men that were chosen, right? doesn't use it as an official title. It just uses the word, uh, derivatives of the word, or, or variations of the word uh, diakonos were, were used of their service. They were serving. It doesn't say they were officially called deacons. And they were appointed for that specific task. We assume that they continued in that role. We assume that they were deacons. Some people do the same thing with Phoebe here. They assume she was a deaconess. But it's hard to... Now, I'm not going to take the time... But I'm going to mention to you Christostom, Clement of Alexandria, some of the early church fathers recognized women deaconesses, especially in the Eastern church, part of the church. Uh, Christostom mentions Phoebe. You know, uh, It's interesting as well. Uh, there's an inscription in a second century tomb by the Mount of Olives which, of a woman. It says, Sophia the deacon. You know, uh, uh, Ho diakonos, not a servant, but the diakonos, which is quite interesting. Uh, and uh, the Apostolic Constitutions, which is in the 4th century, it talks about uh, those who were deaconesses as well. And also in a book, an early church writing called the, 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 uh, the Didascalia, which is kind of probably came off of the Didache, in the, which is late 1st or early 2nd century. Same deal. Same deal. Uh, you have... What it says much about deacons. And I want to read all these things to you, but just know, okay, I want to read at least a couple of them to you. But they actually, uh, 
sometimes even talk about how they visited the sick. They took care of the sick and cleansed those who were healing from diseases and things like that, which is quite interesting. So just know it's kind of interesting. The early church period, they had deaconesses, and, uh, and we're not opposed to that. We, we have all kinds of women that serve, whether you have a title or not, amen, in this fellowship that are just awesome in what they do for the Lord. Back to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. Deacons must be the husbands of only one wife, right? Good managers of their children and their own households. That goes, that's self-explanatory, but I did a couple teachings on that with the elders a few weeks ago, so check that out. Verse 13, for those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves, what? A high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. How awesome is that? Amen? So it's a high calling. The reason I call this message the high calling of a deacon is because deacons get high standing in God's kingdom, man. Uh, Jesus will say, well done, good and faithful servants to all true believers, amen. But deacons, I think they'll get like, because they've just given, they give so much of their lives to the service of the church, will be especially blessed in a lot of mighty ways. I love, I was encouraging a, a, a sister in the Lord today who was in tears a little bit and serving the Lord, but she's wanted to see more fruit and, you know, and, and, and just heartbroken over how some people just don't give themselves fully over to the gospel. And, and I encouraged her with Hebrews 6.10. I said, God is not unjust to not remember your service to him by your serving of the saints. When you serve the saints, man, you bless Jesus. Amen? And Jesus said at the great judgment, man, when he comes back at his second coming, the wicked will go into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels, right? But guess what? He said, of the sheep on his right, enter into the kingdom prepared for you before the foundation of the world. What you've done, at least of these, my brethren, you've done unto me. Let's all recognize that the word diakonos and its derivatives are used of believers in general over and over again. Let's all make sure we hear those words. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Amen? Praise God. Can we all please stand? So give, give a deacon a hug.